0: Actually, I have a question about your uh, your avatar, I think they call it. It looks like you're holding a viola.
1: I am holding a viola.
0: <laughs> and so you play the viola? I do. Okay. We'll use that.
1: <laughs> that would be great.
0: All right. And that we can start right off with that. That when a child is learning to play the viola, actually, uh, there are, for a child, there are actually child versions of violas. And uh, uh, for the child to learn, one of the qualities is, is that... Uh, the viola, in fact, all of the four main stringed instruments, as well as even guitars with steel strings, are really rough on the fingers of the left hand. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but now that you've been playing the viola a while, your fingers are not so, sou- so sore when you play.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. So, this is an important point about Uh, your practice of meditation is that the mind also gets tired and that uh, uh, the tiredness of the mind also is often referred to as attention span
1: Mm.
0: what is our attention span in other words how long can the mind uh, work properly before it starts to Malfunction in the sense of running out of gas or running out of... uh, um, Actually, when animals fight for a long time, they get tired. That one of the qualities of wrestling an alligator is a human doesn't get as tired as an alligator, and so the alligator wrestlers, their job is is to get the alligator really tired.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: It has to do with the way that the muscles operate. All right. So, tiredness actually means um, basically that the trash is building up. The immediate collection of, like for instance, when the muscles are working, that there are properties that when during the burning off of the process and uh, uh, the using of the fuel and the oxygen, there's quite a lot of trash that's picked up that needs to be taken by the um, by the blood out but for a while it stays in the muscles this is also true of the mind while the mind is burning energy naturally you're going to understand that there's going to be some heavy carbon related uh, molecules that will collect up in the brain that need to be um, uh, collected by in the capillaries and drained, drained off once we start exercising the mind one of the qualities that happen is is that, that those areas of the mind the capillaries begin to grow bigger that's one of the reasons why when you're playing the viola over a, um in the beginning when you're beginning to practice or if you haven't been doing it for months then when you first start to play within 10 minutes your hands are tired But if you've been playing every day, now your hands don't get tired in 10 minutes. You can go all the way through a symphony. Right. That's because of changes that can happen actually quite quickly once we've established that. So this is what we're actually establishing in the mind. That's one of the reasons why I recommend beginning students to practice more often every day, but not practice so long. Mm Because the time that you're practicing in your sitting practice, after a certain time the mind has gotten tired, you're not getting any benefit out of the sitting. Mm -hmm. That if anything, you're now developing the habit of sitting while tired. Yes, (laughs) that's true. (laughs) And so... Um, Thank you for mentioning that, because this is actually kind of an important point for students to understand that uh, and yet the greed of the human mind, especially the Western human mind, they automatically think the longer I sit, the better. And then let me struggle through a little bit, I can do this, but when the (laughs) mind gets tired, they're not really making any progress. And in the mind's dull states, that's when visions, hallucinations, all kinds of uh, objects can come up. That See? then we become confused about. Yeah. All right. And sometimes those that confusion will lead us to believe that we've had a certain experience or something's happened that in fact hasn't happened at all. We've We've made that up, or we've dreamed it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, some things are, would like that, a, a sort of an interesting one, but it's kind of far and away from us, is some people will have uh, an experience where they think that they're uh, sitting in the lap of God, or that they, they get into a really nice state, but they don't know how they got there, they don't know how to describe it, and they probably got into that state when the mind was dull and so they're not really sharp and focused about what's going on and so they make up these stories about the experience I felt this way therefore this other thing must have happened and then you start dreaming or thinking about that Buddhist people are more likely to do that with past life experiences Hindus will do it with that uh, But images or visions of heaven or um, hallucinations, these are the kinds of things that happen when we're the most tired. That basically what we're practicing here is waking up and having a bright and shiny mind rather than than a dull mind. It's uh, what we would call deep in meditation. And so we have to... um, uh, sort of change our focus or our, our intention that a lot of students think that what what the process of meditation is is to go deep and there's also um, a system that that is called noting that is associated with the Mahasi system are you familiar with that in in any way
1: yes I tried that for a little bit um, right. I, I do it sometimes I I watched a video where you told a student to note softly, so I tried doing that, and I think I got better results.
0: All right. Well, let's talk about that for just a bit. What we're doing, Anapanasati, can be called noting.
1: Mm.
0: Because the noting that we're doing is waking up and, and inspecting and investigating the mind okay we're paying attention to it and when you use the word noting that way then um it's quite effective but many people use the word noting and in fact are taught this way by other westerners who really don't understand what's going on and they will even go so far as to use the word labeling Mm, yeah okay We're working at a more um, subtle level than that. So let me draw this analogy for you. The analogy is using with the word witness, because a witness has two jobs. There's two different kinds of witnesses, and a person can be one kind of witness and then later be the other kind of witness. Okay, the first kind of witness is the one who saw. You saw what was going on. He was there at the scene of the accident or the crime, or he saw what was going on. And then later, that witness is going to be on the witness stand and he's going to tell a story about what he saw. And that's a different kind of witness. The first kind of witness is the one who sees it, and then the second kind of witness is the, the one who tells the story about what he saw. Okay? We're working with the first kind of witness. Not the noting kind of witnesses is the, the telling of the story or labeling. That we're much more interested in actually seeing what the mind is doing and catching it, doing that, so that we can then get out of it. But one of the dangers of people practicing the noting is, is that they note what's going on, but they don't change it. They note the dukkha, then they note it again. Then they inspect the dukkha, and they keep noting it, but they don't come out of the dukkha, okay? But the practice of Anapanasati is dukkha, dukkha, naroda. We see the dukkha, and then we come out of it immediately. And the way we do that, in fact, the Buddha, um, one of the most important um, things that, that, let us say, helped him to put together... The actual full teachings of the Buddha was a statement that he made when he was sitting under the bow tree, when he first had figured out that jhana practice and deep meditations and all of that was not the path, and also that uh, um, uh, expecting too much of yourself, self-flagellation, self-torture, burning off all bad karma, and all of that kind of stuff that actually led him so far as to become... There's uh, there's uh, statues that you can get on Google. You can actually just Google starving Buddha, and it will bring up those images. They say that his waist was so small that he could actually touch his hands around, so that's only 14 inches around for most. And yet I remember... There is a movie, Gone with the Wind. Do you know that movie?
1: Yes, but I haven't seen it.
0: Okay. Um, uh, Gosh, I've forgotten her name. Uh, The one one who eventually married Rhett Butler, but she didn't want to have any more babies because she had a 20-inch waist. And after the baby, she had a 21-inch waist. And so she didn't want to have any more babies. Well, this is, you know, old magical thinking that the baby had nothing to do with her 20 inch waist. She could get it back to a 20 inch waist if she had a modern um, uh, coach, if that's what the job was to do. Uh, so it's unlikely that the Buddha was down to a 14 inch waist, but something very small. He was starving. And he found out that that was not the path because, in fact, he had no energy. His mind was not in good shape that way, that he needed to get himself healthy again. Mm. And he recognized that, and so he did. But when the friends that he had been practicing with saw that he was getting fat, they abandoned him and left him on his own. He was in the area called Bodh Gaya. And so that's where he was sitting, and under the Bodhi tree or under the Bow tree, That's when he had this realization, and it comes out in the form of, aha, I see you, Mara. What that means is is that we can see the nature of the cause of suffering right there in the mind. We can see the thoughts that are unwholesome thoughts. Now, instead of seeing those thoughts and labeling those thoughts and continuing those thoughts and labeling those thoughts, the right thing to do is to see those thoughts, aha, I see you, Mara, and throw those thoughts out.
1: So, I was using the noting method only when I was walking around my apartment, not in the sitting meditation Um But like if I was doing the dishes or walking to my fridge, I would use the noting method. Should I stop doing that?
0: Okay. That's actually a very good use for it rather than in in the sitting. Um, We'll talk about that a little bit more. That's a good point, though, uh, that we can use, um, let us say, we can call that a tool for waking up. But another one that we could use for waking up would actually be continuing to watch the breath. To know when we're taking an in-breath and to know when we're taking an Mm -hmm. out-breath. That's the basic practice and that that's something that should be cultivated so that we could be mindful of that breathing. That's something that's very interesting and important about uh, the Anapanasati Sutta. You see, the Anapanasati Sutta is based in four sections. It's called uh, the sections that are the Satipatthana. Now, the Satipatthana um, are the four foundations of mindfulness, and these foundations are the very foundations of our life, which means our body, our feelings, our mind, and the thoughts of the mind, which in the Pali is Kaya Nupassana for the body, Vedana Nupassana for the feelings, uh, chitta nupassana for the mind, and uh, Dhamma Nupassana for the objects of the mind. Now Uh, This the mind itself, the citta, what we mean by that is the condition of the mind or the shape of the mind in the sense of how bright is the fire. Is it dull? Is it bright? Is it sharp? Is it collected? The state of the conditions of the mind. And so this is, in fact, the first thing that we do with Anapanasati when we wake up is we check the condition of the mind. How do we do that? Well, in this regard, am I watching the breath or not? If I'm watching the breath, then the mind's sharp. If I'm not watching the breath, then it's wandered away someplace. So that's the first thing to check. But we can also check other things in the sense is, are the thoughts that I'm having are wholesome, or are the thoughts that I'm having unwholesome? More than likely, but not uh, guaranteed the thoughts are going to be unwholesome in the, thought, in the sense of the thoughts of the past or in the thoughts of the future or thoughts of um, restless mind looking for problems to solve many different kinds of things like that um, doubts will be in the mind any of those kind of thought patterns we would be calling hindrances but the kind of thoughts that we could wake up to or naturally have would be, let us say, thoughts of activity. Puttering with something while thinking about puttering with something rather than puttering with something and be off somewhere. Well, that's exactly what we are actually doing with our uh, Anapanasati when we're actually practicing. We're actually puttering with the body, we're puttering with the breath, we're puttering with the feelings, we're just operating with it, or, or when I use the word puttering, it's almost like a potter in his clay, that the results of the uh, uh, the maneuvers of the hand will form a pot or something out of the clay, and so this is how we begin to recognize it instead of just leaving the clay in a lump or a mold we're actually going to start puttering with it we're going to start shaping it we're going to start shaping the kinds of thoughts that we have but it's also possible that we were already puttering we were already looking at what was going on we could be in pleasant states naturally it would go so far as to say that if we didn't have uh, good states on a natural basis, then a person would be an, in a grumpy, foul mood all the time. And some people are. Some people are unhappy and angry all the time. But most people are not. But we're also not satisfied and happy all the time. We still have times of unhappiness. This is true for our whole lives. But as children, when children are playing together or playing with their toys, that's puttering time, and normally the children are enjoying it. They're curious, even when the little girl is pulling the head off her doll. She's not doing that in anger, she's doing that in curiosity. Maybe she needs to pull the head off to get this dress off of the doll. And so this is the kind of playing that little girls do, and they really enjoy it. But sometimes little girls don't give what they want, and so they have a tantrum. But normally what happens is, is that when, um, let us say, uh, a child, a little boy, is writing on the wall with a crayon, and Mom comes in, he's been writing on the wall for 10 minutes. He's actually got a, quite a nice little picture there going. And Mom comes in, and she doesn't like it at all. What the little boy is going to do is he's going to remember... The scolding that he got years later, maybe. But he's not going to remember how much joy he had in drawing the picture on the wall. Now the wall picture is bad somehow. And so was the joy. So that joy of writing on the wall was negated by mom, who didn't like it. That kind of thing compounds itself over and over and over and over again. And in fact, what we mean by that is, is that The children grow up in the sense of spending more and more time in bad feelings, solving problems, and less time in play and joy. And so now we're beginning to understand the old case of what Anapanasati is, is, is teaching us how to be a kid again. To bring us back to the present moment, which is where the child was when he was writing on the wall. We need to learn to be in the present moment. Basically, music does require us to be in the present moment. Not all the time. That in fact, the the body can learn the music. One example is, is the guy is a, um, he's at a uh, piano bar and he's playing the piano. And he's been doing that for years playing basically the same repertoire as the clients got older it was the same tunes and now a lady in a nice evening dress she she walks up to the piano and puts her arms over the piano and starts talking to the piano player and he has a conversation with her and he doesn't miss a note but his mind is not now on the music his now his mind is on her now a few days later Two plain blows policemen walk in and interrogate him, and he's still able to play. His mind is, I mean, he's really got that music down now if he's in a police investigation, and he's cool with it, and he's just playing right on. Okay, so we have that ability to do that in the mind that the body does learn things, or let us say down at the body level, and one of the things that that the music has learned down at that level. So let's use this example also. There are three three ways for learning music, and you can tell, and in fact, one of the things that makes a, a professional really a professional is when he gets to stage three. The first stage that a musician is in is in the practice stage. That's when we don't want anybody around us.
1: (laughs) That's a good way to put it.
0: (laughs) When we wanna be alone, when we gotta practice, okay? Then there comes a time when after the practice is done, now it's time to perform. It's right recital time. Alright, and now the child is actually going ahead and doing the performance, but now every thought is on that music, he's playing it correctly, but he's really intensely focused on doing that. The more complicated, the more he's got it, alright? And you can actually see that in very good musicians, let us say, let's change, because I know more about the violin than the viola, I think that's true for everyone. And the violinist is playing a concerto. The first time he plays that concerto in front of an audience, he is really interested in making sure he's got every note. He is playing that exactly. Okay. Fast forward 15 or 20 years, and that same musician is playing that same piece of music, one of these big famous concertos. And now his performance is completely different because now he's not performing anymore now he's playing Mm -hmm. now he's really into it he's really enjoying it okay this is how we're going to be doing our meditation also is Mm -hmm. in the beginning it's going to take a lot of practice then when we start doing it out in the world that's when we're actually performing but as we get good at it, we actually get to the point that our life becomes a playful mm. performance of our life. Yeah. It's no longer a performance that we have to watch really closely what we're doing. That that's the intermediate stage. And that's the, actually the stage that we're training for with practicing. So we practice first, then we uh, perform... And then later we come to the point of being able to play, even with the breath. So after that interlude, let's go back to the four foundations of mindfulness and talk about that with the four foundations of mindfulness, each one of them has four steps of anapanasati, so that there are 16 steps of anapanasati. The Buddha didn't label them one, two, three, four, but they're there in order but the order that they're in is the order uh, for each of the four foundations and yet many people think that all they have to practice only one foundation first and then only one foundation second and then only one foundation third an example of that is the Mahasi phrase of rising falling touching sitting have you heard that phrase before Rising, falling, touching, sitting. Rising, so. falling, touching, sitting. This is actually the four uh, first steps of, of Anapanasati in the sense of rising belong in breath, the rising. When the breath comes out, the falling. The touching is is that we're aware of all the stuff that's happening to the body and the sitting now is the proprioceptic system that, uh, that I want to introduce you to. It's there. You know it all the time, you use it, but you're not very uh, conscious of it. But there is a proprioceptic sensing system. Here's how you can imagine it. Um, close your eye, hold your hand in the air, wiggle it around a while, and then open your eyes to check to see where that hand was. And you'll note that it's exactly where you where you thought it would be, or exactly, in other words, there's something inside that we know where every part of the body is. When you're laying down in bed at night, you don't have to open your eyes to look at the body's posture, you know it. You know down to, are the legs crossed, or are the, what's the leg, what's the arm, Everything. This is proprioceptive, And so the rising, falling, touching, sitting means now we're aware of our posture. We're aware of that we're sitting or we're aware of whatever posture that we're in. This is all bodily components. But that does not mean that we're going to only practice body. It's not possible for a student to take only the body in the meditation hall. The other three can take a nap. And then next week only the feelings come into the meditation hall and the other three can take a nap. Mm -hmm. So we have to practice it together. That's another way of saying it, okay? So imagine that you were going to go to a company, uh, a school that was going to teach you how to drive a car. And the first lesson they teach you about how to do the steering wheel. The second lesson they teach you how to operate the gears and the clutch. The third day, they teach you how to do the driving, and now off you go. And they didn't teach you on the fourth day about the (laughs) brakes. What kind of school is that? Okay, so this is exactly the way that many people think that we should practice meditation, one thing at a time. We can't do one thing at a time. we got to do the whole show. That's part of why it's called practice. It's like we got to learn to juggle four balls all at once. <laughs> okay, so the body, mind, and the mind's objects. Generally, what we're doing when we when sati comes—that's mindfulness—to wake up to see what the body, what, excuse me, to see what the mind is doing, even if it's just a little bit. A more, um, let us say, advanced student would be when he wakes up and he sees what the mind is doing, he continues to inspect the mind to see, is it tired? Does it have, uh, is it sharp? Is it exalted even? Is this top quality or not? Or is it dull? And so also with this way, the, the easy way to do it is, am I watching the breath or not? And so we come back and we watch the breath. So automatically we're tying two of these, four of the Satipatthana are together. The next thing that we're doing is also uh, checking out the content of the mind. What is the mind thinking about? This is normally what is known as the noting, is what is the mind doing? The answer is that it's either in hindrance or not in hindrance. If it's in hindrance, aha, I see you hindrance. And then we come out of it. What is wholesome and what is unwholesome thought? So we have to start judging. This is a wholesome thought. And it's possible that you can take a deep breath, wake up and say, Yeah, this is a wholesome thought. I mean, (laughs) here I am. This is good. Because that will happen. And then there will be times when you're saying, Oh no, I'm thinking about Uncle Billy and the fight we had. And so that's not a wholesome thought. Things about the past, no. And so um, we begin to start gauging what's wholesome, what's not wholesome. And the intention is, is to gladden the mind, to brighten the mind. We brighten it with two ways. One is by taking the deep breaths, and the other one is by, Aha, I see you, Mara. That aha, uh-huh, I see you, Mara, actually separates us from what we were. Let's use the word anger as an example of that because people will say, I am angry or I am frustrated. Mm-hmm. Now we can say, aha, uh-huh, I see you, frustration. Now, normally when we say, I am frustrated, it's like the frustration has grabbed me and the frustration controls me in other words my frustration is so annoying I have to do something to get out of this state of frustration right so what we're doing here though is we're saying aha I see you I see you this is what's happening aha I see you now by doing that That whole quality has the quality of disassociating ourselves from the frustration or even just the thought. Uh Uh-huh, I am not the fight that, that had with Billy. I am not the argument I had with Aunt Susie, okay? I am not that feeling. This is an important quality of the disassociation from it because, in fact, what we're doing is we're putting the frontal cortex, the higher mind, in gear. The one, the, our supercomputer that takes so much super effort or super energy. Have you ever been in the, in the room with a supercomputer? Mm-hmm. That used to be my business, so I know all about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> one of the big things about supercomputers is, is that they, ha- they take up a lot of power. They take up a lot of electricity. Right. Which means that our electricity or the way that the electrical systems work with the brain is through carbon and oxygen interchange or between what the nourishment that the blood is carrying along with on the red uh, corpuscles to give the brain the energy and then later it's going to go take the junk uh, out of that That was the result of that process, the ashes, as it were, and put it back in the blood so that they can be carried out and exhaled by the lungs. This process is important for us to recognize this is really, really important to keep the mind functioning, to take those deep breaths, and that helps brighten the mind. Just keep breathing, okay, to remember to take those deep breaths, right? and that helps brighten the mind as well as um, throw out the residue from the blood of, for instance, adrenaline, that if I start thinking about the argument that I had with Aunt Susie, then the the adrenaline will start to leak right there, and we'll begin to have feelings associated with with that tension, anxieties, etc., like that, that are associated with the thoughts of the argument that I had with her. But as I'm breathing in and out and changing my mind, that bit of um, adrenaline, cortisone, and whatnot like that can be then exhaled through the breath. And we can come back to a state of homeostasis. You literally can breathe away anxiety. Mm-hmm. It can be done you can breathe away tiredness Mm. by taking deep breaths we can do that and so this is one of the things to start noting or noticing in the sense of yes when I do breathe the brain does wake up when I do breathe I can in fact release tensions and anxieties out of the body so the body and the mind and the feelings are all interrelated the, feelings affect, excuse me, the body affects the feelings, the feelings affect the mind, the mind affects what objects we're going to have, the objects that we have affect the condition of the mind, it affects the feelings, and we're just one big mess, it's all connected together. And so we have to practice them together, to be able to maintain wholesome thoughts, which is the uh, Dhamma Nupasana, to be able to get the mind bright and functioning and ready for work, which is the sita. To be able to change the way that we normally feel from ordinary or blah or uncomfortable into feeling really good. This is actually the last item on the list because the, the feelings are the most deeply buried, but the breathing can be connected with the body so that we can start working with the body directly, immediately. But in fact, they have done MRIs to find out that when people are breathing normally, the reptilian brain, back back in the back, on two sides, on this side and on this side of the brain, right in that area, is where the breathing is controlled, right in this area here, and right above that is where the heart is beating. And so right down in that area is where the uh, breathing is controlled normally until we start breathing intentionally, consciously, controlling the breath. And now the frontal lobes start to light up in two distinct areas. Inside the frontal cortex, the frontal cortex actually begins to control the breathing. So we actually have to light up the frontal cortex just to watch the breathing. And so all the Buddha didn't know anything about any of this uh, neurological stuff but it's really handy in modern times for the students to recognize yes we're actually working with a neurological mechanism here this is not me it's a neurological mechanism (laughs) that needs fine-tuning and and the only way that it can be fine-tuned is from within which is a skill development so This is the whole process, and everything is is scheduled around sati, to remember, to remember. That's why we're practicing alone, is to remember. Now, basically, sati, once we get it going, can be there um, on a very regular basis. Mm -hmm. And that sati is that we remember to take a long, deep breath, and then we remember to take a long, deep out breath. Now, every one of the items on Anapanasati has the quality of the verb that's used as training, except for the first two. The first two have to do with watching or understanding the long deep breath and watching and noting the long deep out breath. I guess the reason for that is, is because we don't need any training. Everybody that I've ever met already knows how to take a long, deep breath. All I have to do is remember. Mm-hmm. That's the one that needs the skill development. But every time that we breathe in and remember to breathe in, that's a point of sati. Every time we breathe out, that's another point of sati. So we have sati on the in breath and sati on the out breath. But in a normal breath, that lives us and when I say a normal breath, I'm not talking about the normal way that people leave, breathe is at about 20 breaths of a minute. I've actually watched examples on uh, YouTube of people that are breathing normally. They're not even thinking about what they're doing, and they're just uh, uh, and I, it's almost like a pant to me to breathe that, that quickly. So when we're talking about normal, we're talking about a better normal than what the average person is doing. By watching our breath, it normally slows down. We can think of it in the sense of a 5-5-2, and then eventually an 8, eight four. The 5, five two means that we would count to five on an in-breath, and then count to five on an out-breath, and then count two between the out breath and the in breath because we want to make that out breath after the out breath. Eventually, we're going to make that longer and longer. So that as we breathe out completely, that's the sigh, that's the deepest relief that we can have before that next in breath. So 552 five, will get us started in that. So we begin to breathe. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to count every breath 552. Five, but we get into the rhythm of that by counting few breaths, and now we know how fast to breathe, and so the breathing becomes more normal in that five, five, two without to have you do the counting. Yeah. Okay, so that now leaves us five, five, two. Let us say that if uh, each count would be something on the order of a second, perhaps a little faster than a second, but we'll just use the second as an example. Five, five, two means 12. That means that we're dividing a minute by 12, which means we're taking five breaths a minute. That means we're breathing at only the quarter of the speed that normal people are breathing on average, Mm -hmm. at 20. We're breathing only a quarter of that speed, which is good, because now we're having time to actually open the lungs and to close the lungs. We don't have to force it. In other words, we're not looking for 100% or top off with just a nice, long, full in-breath and a nice, long, full out-breath and then a couple of seconds of just waiting and relaxing. Like that. This is the way that you would count this okay. to get it to get started with it. Yeah. Now, the next point is, is that every other item on the list of 16 items, the verb is to train, to train in uh, suka. to train in Piti. these are poly words, to yeah. train uh, in uh, pasa, to train in. Um, uh, waking up the mind gladdening the mind etc. like this so these are all training points now the word sukha actually means to feel pleasure and that's actually our intention that we become satisfied and feel pleasure when we wake up and say aha I see you Mara. we throw it out and now we can take a deep breath developing pleasure Or another word word to use would be satisfaction, I like the word satisfaction because it's a pleasurable experience and it's easy to come to, are you satisfied or are you not satisfied? This is actually, now this word satisfaction is now going to be your new viola, (laughs) why? because this is the one that needs to be practiced. Yeah. And and the way that I mean that is, is that if you're going to be playing the viola, just picking up a guitar, does that help you play the viola?
1: Not Not much. much.
0: Not much, a little. Maybe strengthening fingers, giving some dexterity, taking the lead out, some things like that, but generally not much, exactly. So if you're going to really learn to play the viola, you have to learn by practicing the viola. In order to train and practice sukha, or pleasure, or satisfaction, that's the instrument we actually have to practice. I see, okay. so, this so that's dis- the
1: issue with the noting method sometimes. Pardon? So that's the issue with the noting method sometimes. You're not practicing satisfaction.
0: Not practicing satisfaction, exactly. Here's where we have to practice the satisfaction because, uh, in fact, we're, we're building up to that satisfaction by saying, Aha, uh-huh, I see you, Mara. Aha, uh-huh, I see you, thought. Aha, uh-huh, I see you, um, agitation, worry. We'll get to those kinds of feelings later. But with the breathing in and out, we begin to work with the thoughts and the feelings to become, uh, to to put ourselves in a state of satisfaction. It may be just a little bit of satisfaction. A lot of students will say, yes, it's satisfaction, but I want more. No, wait a minute. (laughs) It's not satisfaction if you want more. Yeah we need to be satisfied with a little bit of satisfaction. (laughs) Because if we can be satisfied with a little bit of satisfaction, then it will grow as a skill. Okay. So we're still all practicing back with the Four Noble Truths again. Right Right view is that we're practicing Anapanasati, that's enough right view to get us going. Right sati, that's the skill that needs to be practiced the most, to keep remembering, to remember on the in-breath, to remember on the out-breath, to keep watching what we're doing, and remember to watch, to remember to investigate. Now comes the right effort, the right effort of taking a deep breath and of catching the mind and throwing the the, uh, unwholesome thought out. That's, aha, I see you. That's right effort. Those two points of right effort will then help bring on the feeling of satisfaction, the deep breathing and the uh, gladdening the mind. And to now the fourth element of the Eightfold Noble Path, which you've talked about before that you like, and that is right attitude that this actually is a skill to be developed. And here the right attitude is, I can do this. The right attitude is, I'm a winner. I can practice this. This is what we mean by actually piti, because piti and sukha are directly related, but the pitti has an extra bit of energy to it, and that extra energy is from the win. Aha, I can do it. It's the actual taking of of the joy of the winning. What did you win? You threw the hindrance out of your mind. That's a big point. If you can do that, your life is saved. That's the big deal. Can we throw the hindrances out? The answer is yes, I can. And when I can, that develops the right attitude. That attitude, I can do it is the most important one, but we need these other skills in order to develop that attitude because we were born as children and raised as children to be victims, to be under someone else's watch and care. In the beginning, we couldn't change our diapers. We couldn't feed ourselves, and we are in that kind of mentality even as we grow up into adults. There are some chakras we can't change by ourselves, and some Meals we can't eat without help. Or at least that's what we think. And one of them is I'm miserable and I can't get out of my own misery by myself. I need help. I need a psychologist. I need a priest. I need a Jesus. I need a religion. Something's got to help to save me. Mommy! Where's my mommy? All right. Here we have to understand, oh no, oh no, I can do it myself. I don't need help. Now normally when we think I don't need help, when the whole point of the second noble truth, the whole point of the second noble truth is where does the suffering come from? The answer is moha mohadosa or greed ill will and delusion except where is that greed is it in mommy (laughs) is it in jesus where is oh no this stuff is inside here and we begin to understand oh i see that the sukkah i'm making it i'm creating all of my own problems so now, when we recognize that, that means that oh, well, that means I'm going to have to solve my problems. I, you know, nobody else made this mess. I made it. I'm going to have to clean it up. So now the question is, can I do it? Am I up to the task?
1: I have a question about pity. So, when I notice that I've wandered, and I kind of celebrate by. Saying, "Uh aha, I see you, and then I can do this as I breathe in deeply. I will get those tingly sensations, and then it seems like my object has switched from the breath to the tingly sensations at times. Um, Should I ignore? Like the tingling, like pleasant sensations that I think are... No,
0: enjoy it. Pay attention to it. If you're deep breathing, you should actually be able to experience the fact that your body is going through a kind of a a change, a metamorphosis. That yes, you should be able... Actually, you can even go so far as to say that the breathing can help you feel lightheaded. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: That it's okay to do that. It's okay to feel tingly alive. That that tingly alive actually is very good feeling. Enjoy it. Notice it.
1: Okay. Well, sometimes I'll try to generate more, and then sometimes I can, and sometimes I can't. So, what's that about?
0: Don't worry about whether you can do it or not. Just the deep breathing, because sometimes uh, you're not going to have uh, that particular kind of, um, not going too far in the direction of, um, uh, uh what do they call it? Hyperventilation, but we're not doing that. We're just merely completely oxygenating the body.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that sometimes it makes the body feel tingly alert. Mm-hmm. Generally, it's the first time or the second time. After a while, it takes some work to bring on that tingling feeling because we're already breathing pretty well mm-hmm. okay so don't worry too much about that okay. uh, in the sense of controlling it but notice it when it does come up that the, our job right now is to control the breath to make sure that we're getting enough oxygen
1: okay
0: okay so with that we're actually now looking at all four aspects of the Satipatthana in the sense that we're watching the breath We're brightening and gladdening the mind. We're also beginning now to pay attention to how we feel because we're intentionally going to start feeling good. We're going to actually feel satisfied. That's the good feeling that we're having. And the last part of it is is that now we're going to begin to control the contents of the mind in the kinds of thoughts that we have, especially the verbal thoughts, is to try to keep them wholesome. Now, unwholesome thoughts will take us right out, and then we'll have to find some sati to remember that we came out, and then we'll come back in. And so we want to stay out of the unwholesome thoughts. So at this level, unwholesome thoughts will pull us out of the state of sukha, and wholesome thoughts will help keep us in the state of sukha. So you begin to think about the kind of thoughts that you will have that will keep you in the state of sukha. Thoughts like, wow, this is nice. Oh wow what a nice day it is or wow we can just notice the breeze and the way that the trees are moving back and forth like that gentle breezes okay so this is the kind of thing that's all happening in the here now and keeps us help focusing us on the here now rather than getting lost in that part of the mind that is built based in the past in the future imaginations, and all of that, that we're looking for the real stuff right now, including the real feeling of satisfaction. And this is how we practice Sati: To remember, to take a deep breath, to change the way that the mind is operating, Throw, the, see that uh, dukkha, throw the dukkha out, take another deep breath, relax and enjoy your moment. And then keep the mind clean as best you can. So the Mm. first deep skill that we're going to learn, see the the shallow skills or the number one important or top level skills would be sati, right effort, uh, right attitude, and right view. And then the next level is going to be the level of developing, gladdening the mind, developing the watching of the breath through sati the development of uh, suka. Okay, so these are skills to be developed. Now the low level or the important kind of uh, skills to be developed would be this. Number one is to get ourselves into that good state. To be able to do that as a whole, all of these habits based together to get ourselves into a really good state. Okay, And then the second skill is to be developed, is to maintain that state. To apply the mind to this uh, uh, beautiful state that we're in, and to sustain the mind on that. Sustain it in the sense of keeping only the uh, wholesome thoughts in, and not allow unwholesome thoughts in, because if we allow the unwholesome thoughts in, we won't be able to maintain this state, we'll go back into our ordinary state. And so this is the, uh, the deeper level uh, skills to be developed. Number one is to get ourselves into a really nice state, and the second one is to keep it there. This really nice state that I'm referring to, by the way, is First Jhana. And though I haven't told you about it, I've already uh, um, pointed at and touched on all of the factors of the First Jhana. So let's refer them, review uh, from the base of the First Jhana. Number one is clearing out the hindrances, getting the mind out of the past and out of the future. That's the number one point, is to come and be here now. The second jhana factor, then, is the uh, the pleasure or the satisfaction of having cleaned the mind out. That's, that's the one that's going to require both sati and right effort to get that sukha going. All right. The next one is the, the winner's attitude, the pity. This is also a jhana factor. I feel really good. I can do this. I feel really satisfied. I feel secure and satisfied and comfortable. I'm a winner. I can do this. Okay? Those are the first three factors. Freedom from hindrance, sukha, and pity. The next one is the one that we were talking about is, is applying the mind to the wholesome and keeping it applied to the wholesome. To apply the mind and sustain the mind these are actually the five jhana factors so when we're doing that we've got the first jhana and the mind the mind is bright it's sharp it's focused and what is it focused on to make sure that we can stay in this state of pleasure and so that's the uh, uh, the whole thing in a nutshell There's a lot of deeper stuff to look at. We can go into deeper aspects of the Eightfold Noble Path, and certainly deeper aspects into the Second Noble Truth. And there's even a few things that can be said about the Third Noble Truth, because when you're practicing this, you are actually now in the Third Noble Truth. And that's one of the things that you can tell yourself to enjoy the fact that right now you're not suffering. Mm -hmm. Right now I'm free. I am free from all of my own mental trouble. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So there's there's more to talk about and more to do, some more underlying, deeper uh, things. Plus, there's also the review. We need to talk about this over and over and over again. Yeah. And so you keep calling me, and we'll keep okay. talking about it. Okay. But that you've got the basics now.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, should I continue to practice metta? Or should I wait until we have a discussion about
0: metta? You are already practicing metta. <laughs> it's true. When you gladden the mind, that actually what you're doing is you're becoming friends with your own mind. Okay? We cannot radiate uh, metta, may all beings be happy, until we have some happiness to share we're already doing metta. <laughs> okay. But yes, we will talk about the Brahma Viharas and all the distinctions with that. Okay. okay. So you don't you don't need to have a separate practice of metta. Okay. What you need to to have is the the primary ingredient for metta, okay. which is metta. And that's what we're developing <laughs> right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Great. <laughs>
0: Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Yes, it does. Because otherwise, meta becomes just a, an, a, sometimes even an empty ritual. May all beings mm. be happy. May all beings be free. <laughs> <with suffering. laughs> May Donald Trump blow <laughs> a so big that it makes him smart. <laughs> <laughs> But that's how we practice metta. But we need some metta to begin with. And so here's where we're getting our metta is that satisfaction. We're not going to get the metta from out there. We've already determined that with the second noble truth. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: We're going to do it on the inside. And so let's start on the inside. Let's get that metta, then we can share it. did I, I did tell you about the log and the bog last time you called.
1: The log and the bog.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. I'll cover that next time.
1: Okay, I don't remember that. the log and the bog.
0: The log and the, okay, I'll go ahead and tell you now. In a okay. Couple minutes. The Buddha has an analogy that I call the log and the bog. The bog is a swamp, shallow, snake-filled water, and the trees and the trees will fall over, and then they're in the bog. The man who comes with fire stick, can he light that fire uh, on that log that's in the bog? In fact, the, the longer a log is in the bog, the more waterlogged it becomes, and the closer to the uh, uh, the surface, the whole so the, almost the whole log is underwater, and then finally it sinks. So the whole log is saturated with water. Can the fireman start a fire with that log? No. If he drags it out onto the shore, now can he light it? No. Why? Because the log log is still full of water. It's still waterlogged. But if we leave it there for a while, the gravity will drain the water from the top of the log down to the bottom, and it'll start seeping out, as well as the sunlight on top of the log will help dry it out directly. So after a while... Can the log be set on fire? Yes, it can be. All right? So that's actually the way that we would look at our own practice of meditation, is living in the world and spending all of our time in the world is like staying in the bog. We need to get out of the bog. We need to get our mind into seclusion to get away from the world. But now we recognize there's two levels of that seclusion. One is to actually be physically secluded from the world, And then the second one is to be mentally secluded from the world. But we can't get mentally secluded from the world until we get physically secluded from the world. That means we drag the log out of the bog, get our mind out of the the mud, bring our mind into the meditation hall, and get away from the world for a while. This is why we practice that way, uh, practicing quietly, silently, it's not, it's not good for a beginner to practice while uh, Googling. <laughs> while Googling? We need to get away from the world.
1: Get away from Google.
0: Right. To get out of the bog, to get the mind uh, uh, so that it can be brightened up,
1: mm-hmm.
0: set on fire, to get that oxygen going, making this thing really fit for work. That's Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa's term. I like that a lot. Making the mind fit for work. Mm. What is our work? Well, for a while, it's going to be skill development. But after the skill development, our work time is our play time.
1: Mm. That sounds nice.
0: So that's the story of the log in the bog. And we'll cover a little bit more detail of it. But that's the analogy is that we need to get into seclusion.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: so that we can then find the mo- way of getting seclusion from the hindrances of the mind and once we have both kinds of seclusion that's a relief oh what a relief it is mm-hmm. and so that's the way that we have to think about it is to, to recognize oh it does feel so much better to be free from All of the past and all of the future and all the doubts and worries and tired mind and all of that just to be bright and clean and feeling good.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. So you go practice and we'll talk in a few days. Okay. Okay.
1: Thank you.
0: Okay. Bye bye.